When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. End of the year, 2022. The birth of baseball isn't boring. We want to thank everybody. Just a quick, quick thank you to everybody, particularly our guy, Coop. Coop, the straw that serves a drink, my right-hand man, the guy that really helped launch this campaign almost exactly a year ago. We've done this, and now look where we've landed. And so there's a lot to pick through. Go through all the podcasts we started a couple months ago. Go buy the T-shirts. Go buy the hoodie. Go to the social media accounts. Go to all of those things. But really, what a, there's too much to do and to, to summarize all this happened, the baseballs and boring cause. Oh, by the way, also by the book, I just got mine in the mail. They officially come out the end of February. A damn near perfect game. Reclaiming America's pastime. Joe Kelly, Rob Bradford. Uh, that obviously was the thing that launched this whole thing. So there's way too much to get to, to, to surface, to, to highlight when talking about 2022 and the Baseball Isn't Boring campaign. So what I'll do is I'll just give you the best example. I think we asked a lot of people, why isn't Baseball Isn't Boring? And the one that jumped out to me was Eduardo Perez, when we had Eduardo Perez on. So I'm just going to give you that one. His answer to that question I think it's a good one. I think it's a great way to punctuate everything and storm on into 2023. Once again, thank you, everybody. Here's Eduardo Perez. How about there being a game and you don't know what's going to happen? There's no predictability in it. Um, as players, you're it's, it's a chess game. You know, when people watch chess and look at chess, you're like, oh, that's another boring game, right? And, you know, they add a clock to it to make it look uh, – to make it – seem faster and quicker but the, there's so much strategy involved in it and for me the more i watch baseball the more intricacies are in the game and the more it relates to life in general and because of it there's a lesson to be learned a lesson of patience a lesson of um there's there's always uh, a side effect to whatever you do. If you push on one side, it's you know there's something that you have to give up on the other, and that's why I related. And I went right back to the the game of chess. There's pawns. There's a sacrifice. There's a team aspect of it. Yet the individualism of it as well plays into this. Um, but 
the part that I love about it is the precision that each athlete, each individual, each coach, each manager has to do within the lines of the game and the effects that it has upon the opponent and the effects that it has with the the fan that is sitting in their seat and then all of a sudden gets up because of the excitement of what they've seen that they've never probably even seen before. Um, you know, I'm a second generation major leaguer, but the person that taught me to love this game was my grandfather from my mother's side. Um, he's the one that taught me the history of the game. Um, a big time Yankee fan growing up in Cuba and listening to his stories, I could picture as a child those players that he saw growing up. He was born in 1907, and he saw Babe Ruth. He saw um, the history, uh, you know, of of McCarthy and all those of of being able to to manage World Series games, to manage regular season games, to manage men. And those stories, by the way, when I pictured them in my head, I pictured them in black and white because I didn't know that there was color in 1907, in 1917, in 1927. I pictured those the same way that we saw them on TV and on black and white. And because of it, I I fell in love with it. Um, And I wanted more. And I remember after coming back from school during the day, I would sit there and have a nice, and, and you know, I'd be able to have an ice cold Coke with him and just talk about the history of baseball. Um, sort of like sitting around with Tim Kirchin on a daily basis, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, listening to the history of the game. I had a front seat to it. And then the beauty of it is during the summers, I'd go live it in the present with my father being in the big leagues as a player and being around big leaguers and I could put it all together. Um, I'm enamored by the sport. I love the sport. I love the business side of the sport and I love where the sport has taken us every year. There's something new, something different. The seventies were different than the eighties. The eighties were different than the nineties and it's definitely different now as far as the analytics have come in in the last 10 years and where we are with the athleticism and the beauty and the grace that these unbelievable athletes make it look so easy, yet I know it's not because I stood in that batter's box. <laughs> um, I can go on and on. I can go on and on, Bradfell. I can go to the point where I stood at Yankee Stadium and stood in the batter's box. And remember, I just told you about the stories that my grandfather used to tell me. He passed away at the age of 97. He saw me play my entire big league career. And when I stood at the batter's box at old Yankee Stadium, and my grandfather's name was Pablo de la Cantera, when my grandfather would would tell me about DiMaggio, and he would tell me about Barra, and he would tell me about Rizzuto, and he would tell me about, you know, just the iron horse and everything. I stood in that batter's box 
And I was like, holy crap, I'm here. This is what they saw. I'm looking at the same background that they saw. I, there was no way I was going to get a hit. I was overwhelmed with emotion. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I grounded right back to the pitcher. I was like, there's no chance. I, and I just ran to first, and I was the happiest person in the face of this earth the same way that the Iron Horse gave his speech there at Yankee Stadium. It's unbelievable. And, and you, know, you know, people don't realize that, man. People, you know, they think because you grew up in the sport and your dad's a Hall of Famer that it's that you're not overwhelmed. You are. You know, you are. You know, you know, I think that you know, a couple of things spring to mind when you talk or when you're talking. Number one, you know, when I'm doing the book and and hearing people like yourself, it's like I'm not going to be sappy, but when I hear stuff like that, it's great to hear. Like, because we're, you know, like we're at the park. Yes, we're at the park and we're running around. We're doing everything. And oh, my goodness, I can't believe they're serving this in the media dining room. Oh, I can't believe, you know, this or whatever. But listening throughout that process and listening to you and it's just, it's like, oh my goodness, like not to sound sappy, but this is what we're talking about. And, and Eduardo, I don't know for you sitting there and verbalizing it here as we sit here, if that doesn't allow you to sort of, if, if that isn't sort of cathartic or therapeutic, or I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's not, I don't know, maybe I appreciate you doing it, but I'm like, I can see like it, like seeping out of your pores when you're talking about that. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm, it's um it's a love affair that I've had with the game since I've been a kid. I didn't play. The, the, the thing that's interesting is I didn't really play much baseball growing up. I was around baseball growing up, but playing as far as travel ball, as far as, you know, just a lot of little league games and summer, I, I didn't do all that. I, my summers were spent in the big league ballparks. My summers as a, as a young kid were spent at Riverfront Stadium, at, at uh, Olympic Stadium in Montreal, at Fenway Park for three years when my dad played there, one year at the vet. That was the first year I was allowed to be able to be in uniform during games. And, you know, and then from there I was able, then my dad went back to Cincinnati. I would shag and I'd be in the dugout in uniform. That's when I, I learned how to be a big leaguer, if it's interesting. But I, I learned how to be able to also understand what it took to get to the big leagues. Yet I didn't play much high school baseball. I didn't make my, I, I, I didn't make the junior, as a junior, I didn't make the high school baseball team in Miami mm. when I went to Miami. Um, but I knew the game. I knew what was going to happen before things were happening because I saw a lot of baseball. I witnessed it. Um, we were forced to. I remember being a little kid and Sparky Anderson would bring us into Al Lopez Field in Tampa. That's where the Reds used to practice. And he said, look, guys, um, the team wins, you're allowed in the clubhouse. The team doesn't win, you're not allowed in the clubhouse. And during the game, I expect <laughs> to see all your butts sitting down watching the game and yelling at the umpire. Those are the things that I remember <laughs> as a little kid. And I remember our family was the big red machine. If David Concepcion mm -hmm. told me, hey, go get this or sit down, that was like my father telling me, go get this and sit down. If Pete Rose or Johnny Bench or Joe Morgan or Ken Griffey or David, you know, I can go on and on. If it's just Cesar Geronimo or George Foster told us that, that's what we did. Same with the pitchers. We had to respect that 
that um, to me, the clubhouse is the player's clubhouse. And to this day, it still is. I walk in now as a media member. I walk in respecting every player that's there, even if they're 30 years younger than I am because they're in the big leagues. And that's Mm -hmm. their clubhouse. And that's their sanctity. And that's the way it should be because that's how I was brought up. I, I saw it as a child. I saw it as a major league player. I've seen it as a coach. I've seen it as a media member already when I walk into that clubhouse. And I'm very much aware of it. And I'm very much aware of of every cathedral, and there's 30 of them at the major league level, um, that when I walk in, if it's on a Sunday or if it's during the World Series or postseason games, and I, I respect that in, in such a, an unbelievable way.